This is a Stoppage Time podcast from WEGL 91.1, giving you the latest on all the big talking points from the Premier League and the Champions League. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the mid-season finale of Stoppage Time. I'm your host, Chris Basinger, and joining me in the studio today is Harrison Schooler. Harrison, how are you doing? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Really looking forward to getting out of school and going on this break. All right, and over the phone line, once again, typically, um, as he drove back earlier this week and abandoned us, David Ordway. David, how was your drive and how was your weekend? Uh, the drive was terrible, but the weekend was great. Other than my fantasy football team lost, but hey, man, we all had bad weeks. Well, you hate to see it. Even though your fantasy team lost, it seems like your Premier League team did pretty well. Let's get right on into it. Tottenham beat Manchester City two to nothing. Uh, goals were scored by Son and Lacelso. Uh, Tottenham had four shots, two on target in this game. Manchester City had 22 with five on target. Tottenham possession 33%, City possession 67%. And forgive me for throwing out more stats, but. These were the exact same possession numbers that we saw in the 2-0 Tottenham win over City at the end of last season. Um, In that game, City had 19 shots, 6 on target, and Tottenham only had 3 shots, all 3 being on target. David, is this a perfect Jose Mourinho game to you? Uh, He won the game for us. It was a tactical masterclass. Yes. Uh, to answer your question, yes, it was a it was a he, the Jose Mourinho game, um, and you know uh, it, it actually was kind of fun to watch. I mean, it was it wasn't. I mean, but it was it was fun to watch. I, I actually enjoyed it. Uh, I mean, it, it helps when you go up in the beginning of a game, but uh, you know in the first few minutes. But I, I thought it was an outstanding performance, and you know, that's all thanks to Jose and. Um, I'm just super impressed with what he has done with the squad. Yeah. Um, on the other side of the coin, we had Pep and his team managing to get into that final third very, very often, holding a lot of possession up there, but just not being able to penetrate. Now, I did speak into existence last week, Pep's new contract that he signed at Manchester City. Um, he signed for two more years. Harrison, do you think that had any effect on the game or that Jose just had his number the entire time? I think Jose planned really well for this game. Look, I think the bigger thing here is the the contract and this kind of transitional period that City are about to go through, and they really miss Kevin De Bruyne. That's a, just a well-known fact at this point. They miss that clinical bit at the end of the field. And what is Guardiola going to do? I don't see Gabriel Jesus being able to cut it for him over these next few seasons. He's kind of got to think about where the next era of the city striker begins. Who is it possibly Erling Holland? They need to look into the future. That's why people thinking that Messi coming to the club with Guardiola signing this extension is a big deal. Messi's not what they need. And I'm aware that he is amazing, one of the greatest players of all time, but it's not what they need. It's also just another pair of legs that just doesn't track and doesn't do all the work that he used to do. So, um, yeah, they're just looking. They're looking for a striker. That's really what they need. And I thought Tottenham was excellent. I thought Harry Kane was absolutely brilliant again. He is incredible in this new role that Jose Mourinho has outlined for him. He's dropping into spaces, creating space for others, and he's absolutely the greatest passing striker in Europe. I mean, there's nobody better at passing in his position, and it's really incredible. Yeah, I'm. I really am loving this new design that Jose has implemented in uh, the the Tottenham attack, like you said, using Harry Kane, dropping back, which is allowing Son a lot more space. And we saw last season and this season, of course, just how much Son can use that space to just run into. And if Harry Kane is going to free up at least one center back, that's already one less man that Son has to take on. Um David, what what do you think of Son in this new capacity? I mean, I think this is what uh, this is a new Jose Mourinho. Jose Mourinho, you know, uh, you know, and he's still playing. Some of my 
friends in my soccer group chat were, you know, talking about how he parked the bus. And, like, you know, that's always looked at as a, as a negative. But I think, I'm not 100% sure on these statistics, but before this past week's game, Tottenham were second in the league in goals or first in the league in goals and second in the league in shots throughout the first um, eight games of the season. And I wouldn't consider that parking the bus. Now, I mean, against Manchester City, I think that's how you beat a Pep Guardiola team. Uh, we like Kevin De Bruyne is is a, a talent, probably one of the most, if not the most talented player in the league. And they have they have such a good, you know, the most expensive team in the league in, in, in how much their center backs, outside backs, uh, center defense and mid, and like uh, the whole team is just, I mean, it's billions of dollars and. You know, Jose knew how to handle Pep. He 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 knew exactly where to play uh, Harry Kane, Son. Uh, I mean, more importantly, I gotta I gotta say the the man of the match. Even though Harry Kane, I, I won the man of the match award. Uh, I think the man of the match was pure Emil Hoiberg. Uh, and I've said it. He's he's our been our player of the season. Even though Harry Kane is on this record breaking mission. Um, to catch, you know, Kevin De Bruyne and Thierry Henry in assists. Uh, I have to say, Hoiberg, the way that Pep played him and Sissoko too, you know, having them drop in to play almost as a six or seven back to help fill the gaps of what Man City likes to do. And I expect he does the same thing against Liverpool. We play Liverpool in a few weeks because Man City and Liverpool play similar, similar in that they want to get the ball, you know, tiki-taka, up to their forwards, and then, you know, they attack using through balls, which is a brilliant um, strategy. Uh, and I think Mourinho just did everything right, uh, and it, it was just brilliant. Harrison, I saw you roll your eyes when David mentioned parking the bus. Is that giving you a bit of PTSD? No, it's not really giving me any PTSD. Jose was brilliant. He was, I mean, you're, David's absolutely right to point out that he was really smart in dropping Sissoko and Hoiberg into those spaces to make those line splitting passes a lot more difficult. And, you know, the thing that I really liked the most, it was probably just a little bit of a switch up was putting Son on the right hand side because he's knows Walker's got the recovery speed on the left hand side and Kinsella's just a little, little bit uh, less in the concentration on that right hand side. And he was freed up plenty of space, and, I mean, it was the result of the first goal. Yeah, uh, David, I want to go back to you on this. You mentioned how uh, you thought Jose would use the same tactics against Liverpool uh, in the coming weeks, and we talked about this before the podcast, but I just want to hear you, your thoughts on it now, that you would be happy if Tottenham were to get 11 points from their next five games. Am I correct? It, it was originally 11 points from the first five, including Manchester City. Uh, I thought that, you know, I thought Tottenham can beat Chelsea. Uh, I think we can beat Arsenal. I think Crystal Palace we can beat. For some reason, I think that will be the game we struggle in. <laughs> I don't know why I just do. And then Manchester City and Liverpool, uh, I thought we'd draw City and draw Liverpool. But we beat City. Uh, so I look at it now, and 11 points for the next five games, in which Leicester is part of that, uh, I think 11 points in the next five games keeps us definitely in the, the hunt for the title. Um, I mean, obviously it would, but you know, to be at the point we're at now, a year ago, if you after, I mean, it's been almost a, a year since Mourinho was put in charge. That's dreamland. I I didn't expect that. Uh, I don't think anybody did. You know, I saw a tweet this weekend, and we'll get to Arsenal a little bit, but uh, Mourinho is doing what. Arteta was thought to be doing an Arsenal, and he's doing it at Tottenham. I mean, and everyone thought Mourinho was kind of, you know, he played the old age of soccer, and that wasn't going to work anymore. But obviously it still does something. I'm not saying uh, – I won't say we're, we're going to win the league. I don't believe that. I, what I do believe is he will win us a trophy. I also think it's fair to say that Mourinho is working with a uh, more talented group of players. No, no, I, I agree. I mean, but he also, I, I think he chose Tottenham because he said before he came there, he tried to buy a lot of their players before. Barry Kane, Eric Dyer, you know, he loved Eric Dyer. Uh, and, you know, he's made him into a very strong center back. And, you know, he, he's done some things that I'm impressed with. 
Uh, and we, I think we talked about it last week with Deli Alley. Um, you know, Deli Alley was actually at the stadium on Saturday, and there's some thought that maybe he's starting to find his way back into the fold. Uh, and I mean, that would be great. I'd be, I'd be thrilled for him. Um, but we'll, we'll see what happens. Yeah, he, he might potentially be in a Europa League game coming up, but we'll just have to see on that. But moving on to the next big game of the weekend, Liverpool hosted Leicester City and defeated the Foxes 3-0. Uh, the XG of this game was 3.77 to 1.98. Uh, goals were scored by Johnny Evans, an unfortunate header for him, uh, fortunate header for Liverpool. Diogo Jota netted his fourth in four games at Anfield, which I believe is a new Liverpool record for uh, scoring in four consecutive home games after your debut. And Roberto Firmino finally uh, netted one near the end of the game. He was one centimeter away from getting a hat trick. There was, of course, that close shot that bounced off uh, the post that just managed to, uh, to roll out. And then there was the other one that was cleared off the line that looked like it only had about a blade of grass in between the the goal line and uh, counting as a point. But my thoughts on the game. So Liverpool absolutely dominated the game. I was a bit concerned going into it that maybe with this new lineup, just given the amount of injuries that Liverpool's faced coming out of the international break, especially coming out of the international break, Liverpool's not always looked hot. This was... Um, uh, where Liverpool would usually drop points. It was in the 1819 um, season after uh, the international break in January or February, um, where Liverpool saw draws against Leicester and draws against West Ham. Uh, but I thought Liverpool played really, really well, uh, especially the fullbacks in this match. James Milner coming in and being able to fill that spot for Trent when you see James Milner coming into a game, he's not going to be providing the same type of crosses that Trent does. That's just obvious. Um, we haven't seen him too much at right back. Played against Crystal Palace a couple seasons ago, and he's played there uh, earlier this season. Uh, but there was a really good dynamic in this game between James Milner, Curtis Jones, who played right center mid, and Diogo Jada on the right. Um, and I, I think Diogo is really proving that he can fill in to any of those front three roles. And he was originally bought, I believe, to be um, a, either back up to Mane or just to be able to, to fill into that center forward left winger role. But now that we can see that he can play on the right, I think this guy's got everything. But, uh, I mean, Andy Robertson was huge. I have some stats here of his performance over the match, and he got man of the match. But he had 100% aerial duels won, 100% take-ons completed, 94 touches, 12 penalty area entries, 11 crosses, 6 duels won, 5 ball recoveries, 4 clearances, 3 chances created, 2 take-ons, 2 aerial duels, 1 clean sheet, and 1 assist. Forgive me for going through all the 12 days of Christmas on that one, uh, but I think he was just a massive part of this game. Yeah, I saw the different numbers on the back of the jerseys as opposed to the usual ones, but it just doesn't matter. This team is so well-oiled, and they just have a real good, genuine understanding of what Klopp is asking of all of them. I mean, we're sitting here looking at Curtis Jones, very young, coming in that team, but he knows his role so well, and he's got enough ability on the ball to do some extra special things because I know that midfielders in Liverpool's team aren't asked to do the special things. They're asked to do a lot of the dirty work and the hard running, but he's got that in him. And it looks really good. And I was just wondering what you what you make of him. Do you do you trust him now as a full blown rotation player in any game? I trusted him the second he scored that goal against Everton in the FA Cup. Um, I was in the airport watching that game, and I could tell that he he was just finding those spaces and making those drives. Something that Liverpool midfielders have been criticized for in the past couple of years, and especially over the seventeen eighteen season when it was Wijnaldum. Henderson Milner was that they weren't driving enough. It was too many sideways passes, over reliance on the fullbacks, and especially over reliance on uh, Mo Salah just to to net the goals. But what we're seeing with Curtis Jones is similar to what we saw with Alex Oxley Chamberlain and what we've been seeing with Navi Keita, and that's just that ability to dribble and drive through the midfield. 
and get into those uh, creative areas. So it, it was a really interesting dynamic that we saw on the left side of the field compared to the right. So on the left side of the field, you got um, uh, Andrew Robertson, Nabi Keita, and Sadio Mane. And you're going to see Andy Robertson do those 60-yard runs of the left-hand side, an underlapping run every once in a while uh, with Sadio Mane, or just blast the, fall, blast the ball forward uh, to Mane. And you only really see link-up play with Nabi Keita if he's getting played to from one of the center midfielders or if Robertson's already driven up and then gets the ball to him and there's a little um, uh, rondo session happening over there. What we saw on the right between Milner, Jones, and Diogo was Milner always going up and that rondo session always happening. But that was so efficient because of Diogo Jada's um, uh, incredibly creative runs that he was going on. His th- This is a different situation, but his run through the center backs for the second goal uh, when Robertson crossed it in, he was coming from deep. And he went, he he rounded them on the corner and went through uh, to get the header, and he was completely free. But there were a lot of times where there were just quick passes, very fast. Um, I talked about this earlier in the season, but uh, it seemed like for the first few games, the players just weren't all on the same wavelength. And we see, especially Roberto Firmino's best performances are when all of the Liverpool players are on this. Uh, it's almost psychic when you just feel like they're on the same same wavelength and they're just able to make those quick passes and they're always going to find the feet. And it seemed like even in this game, they were always getting the second ball. Curtis Jones did an amazing job of getting the second ball. Yeah, it's like I said, they just run this really well-oiled machine and Klopp's got all the the ideas behind it and they've all bought into them. But from the the Foxes' end of the spectrum, I... They come into the game, obviously wanting to counterattack. That was their plan. They go 1-0 down due to an own goal, and when you go 1-0 down with the counterattacking plan, it's it's not the best start, obviously. And I thought the two midfield pivots just struggled. I thought Mendy looked nervous on the ball. He looked really hurried in a lot of his movements, and Tielemans, uh, to be fair, Liverpool's press and shadow pressing is really strong, but he wasn't working hard enough to find himself the ball, and I think when he does not get enough touches on the ball, there's just a lack of rhythm and feel for, from Everton's uh, midfield players because he's that strong link that can maybe find Madison in that, that slight little spot between the lines or maybe find Harvey Barnes on the run in behind, and he didn't get the ball enough. And when he doesn't get the ball enough, I feel Leicester struggle. Vardy was struggling as well just because they couldn't get anything on the break with him and yeah this is just it this is it brush it off find the next game because this cannot this cannot dictate how you play over the next two three four games because last year this happened and they crumbled and this can't happen again they need to brush this off and get right back to it next week yeah and something that you were talking about before the game the commenters uh were talking about how they believe that lesser would play um, instead of the 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 three four two one that they would play the four four two or even the the maybe the four five one if Vardy's alone up top with Albrighton dropping to that right back role and the problem with that is it's giving you a false sense of security where you believe every player uh, is covered because you have so many guys back even when it's a it's a four five one and Vardy's alone up top um, but really what's happening it's just it's creating that that second of oh is he going to cover him or is he or is am I covering him and you don't really know there so it 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 just added to a bit of slowness in the lesser team and there was no press the second that Liverpool got the ball everyone drops back uh, and gives Liverpool all the space that they need but um yeah and then Vardy struggling so Joel Matip and Fabinho center back pairing this is a question for the panel does anyone remember the last time that Joel Matip and Fabinho were paired center backs the last game. Bayern Munich. Bayern Munich. Lewandowski, that was a nil-nil game at Anfield. Fabinho and Joel Matip have stopped two of the best strikers in Europe from scoring a single goal. There were times where Joel Matip ran out to the midfield just to do a giraffe kick and just boot the ball way up the field, but he was confident in it every time. And uh, uh, Joe Gomez is usually the, the starter with Virgil, uh, we saw in the 18-19 season, started out with Matip, 
Uh, then Matip got injured. Gomez cam- comes in. Gomez gets injured. Matip comes back. So it's really just whatever players in form is going to be starting. And right now, Gomez is injured, so we're going to be relying. Liverpool are going to be relying on Joel Matip for a time. Um, but if if either of these two go down, it's going to be going back to the young players, and that's that's what I'm worried about. But one more thing before we go on to uh, injuries. It's Roberto Firmino. The commentators talked about after the game, the commentator curse, where if you uh, talk really, really uh, well about a player, they're going to uh, have a poor performance. But if you talk really, really bad about one, they're going to have a really good performance. In this instance, Firmino was a centimeter away from having a hat trick. Very, very close goals, um, almost goals. Finally gets the header. The entire team celebrates. Uh, but I, I just want to throw up a couple stats about Firmino's role in this team, right? He's not supposed to be the striker. He's supposed to be there for link-up play. That's why you have players like Diogo Jota. That's why you have players like Sadio Mane. That's why you have Mo Salah. Those are the players that you need to rely on for your goals. Of course, Firmino was criticized last season for only scoring uh, once, maybe twice, at Anfield last season. So far, he has two goals in his first five Anfield games. And not a slight against United, but he has more goals than Martial at the moment uh, in only four more appearances. So I think Firmino being on means that the rest of this team is on, and he has a very, very important role. Uh, but after the match, Jurgen Klopp's press conference, controversial to say the least, he came out and blasted BT and Sky Sports, the two broadcasters in the United Kingdom that – uh, broadcast the games because Liverpool are having to play um, at Anfield against Atalanta Wednesday night in the Champions League. And then BT scheduled them for the 12.30 kickoff on Saturday. This is a similar situation to what happened to United earlier in the season. They had a Wednesday game and then a 12.30 kickoff too. Um, and Jurgen Klopp just completely went off. Uh, David, you haven't talked in a while, so I'm going to ask you about this. Uh, what are your thoughts on this whole scheduling conundrum? Uh, I don't know. I don't really know how I feel. it. I know it's more compact this year due to the fact that the season started a little later. Um, I mean, it's obvious that injuries have definitely affected some teams. Um, I think international break is more of an issue to me than the scheduling issues on playing um, these games during the week. Um, and, and you can disagree with that. And that's okay. Um, I mean, I, I do think it's a, it's a little ridiculous, but I don't think, I think the international breaks more of the problem for me, um, than playing, you know, three games in a week. Uh, I mean, we're doing the same thing and playing in Europa. Uh, and maybe we get to cycle players a little more to the, the difference in competition, unlike Liverpool and city and, um, you know, United and Chelsea, but at the same time, uh, I think, you know, these guys not getting the break for the last two weeks and not playing in the Premier League game and playing in national games. Um, for example, Toby Alderweireld played in the Bel- 90 minutes in Belgium's last game, and, you know, he played, he was going to play 90 minutes on Saturday, and then he had a groin injury. He's going to be out for the next six to eight weeks, uh, and which is a huge loss for us. And, and, and you know, you never know, but would that, have injury occur- would that injury have occurred if, if international break didn't happen? Uh, and I don't know. And it's the same thing, you know, with all these games backed up, yeah, the players are going to get injured. And it's not fair to them. Uh, you know, I, I don't know. It's a really tough situation. Uh, and I, I, I totally understand both sides of it. I think uh, there's more of a problem with these teams going on international break. Rather than these teams going on uh, playing three games in a week because they've played three games in a week before. Uh, but, you know, we're in different times right now, and, and it, it's tough. Yeah, I'm over it. I'm over it. Uh, I'm not disregarding player welfare. I'm just disregarding Klopp's comments. I mean, you know it's really cool? That new training ground that y'all just got. You know how you afforded that? The contract the Premier League signed with these media companies. 
I love that. That training ground looks great. The James Milner door. It's awesome. incredible. Yeah. It's incredible. Lots of work done. Lots of hard money paid for that. Mm-hmm. And they all got it from these various contracts that they signed. It is what it is. The international breaks are stupid. The FA needs the money. The FAs, the various FAs need the money. So they're going to happen. And there's nothing we can do. Just be thrilled that we don't have to see an international break for several months. And yeah, everybody's going to have to eat the injuries that they've got. And if you're a top six club, you're lucky. You've got more depth and more money and more to handle these tough times. I mean, the biggest injury of the weekend, to be completely honest with you, is Ross Barkley from, from Villa. That's the biggest injury of the weekend. I mean, you know, there, there was other injuries. I, I would say, if we're speaking broadly across Europe, I would say Gerard Piquet. Oh, yeah, yeah, probably. But I mean, like in the Prem, Ross yeah. Barkley's the biggest injury. Mm-hmm. Barkley, yeah. Absolutely. And he, didn't play, he didn't play international break. He doesn't play three games a week because they're not in anything. Like, it, I, I, I understand Trump, uh, Trump playing up, uh, standing up for his players. Uh, but, you know, this is, this is kind of the, you're getting paid millions of dollars a year um, to do this, and it sucks. Uh, but I, I've seen these teams play three games a week before. Going festive fixtures, especially, they can do it. Uh, I think Klopp's just frustrated uh, with the loss of how many players he has, and, and it sucks, and it's and it's understandable. You know, uh, I mean, I, I'd be frustrated too if I was a manager. You know, if I'm losing, you know, both my arguably both my starting center backs, you know, our our club signing that was supposed to be our best signing of the summer, in which you know Diego Jota is, but you know still. Um, and, you know, you're missing, you're starting right back who was, you know, team of the year last year. And, and, you know, um, it, it sucks, but, but this is why, this is kind of where the, the big bucks are made. It's how you manage it. Uh, and injuries are really unlucky and it sucks, but, you know, I, I have to look at it as in like, you know, Aston Villa probably got hurt the most from losing Ross Barkley. And I didn't think I'd ever say that this is Ross Barkley injury would be killer. And I think it is killer for him. Um, and, and it's still amazing what Villa has done. But, you know, losing a player like that, that's that's terrible. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I'm, I'm thinking a lot of teams, and part of Klopp's argument was uh, that these contracts were signed pre-COVID times, and uh, we've seen how the, the, uh, the league has adapted uh, to face those challenges. And I believe there's going to be a shareholders meeting soon. Um, where they're potentially going to vote on the five-man substitution soon. And it seems like even for teams like Aston Villa, uh, I believe he said if they did a vote right now, it would be 15-5 to five in favor of the five-man substitution. Um, so I think, Why they take that out? Why they took that out? I have no idea. No idea. Every, every other, every other, of, every other, other of uh, Europe's top five leagues is doing it. So I, I, it, just helps, yeah. it just helps with injury. Exactly. Like, you know, not playing, like, it's nice that I know on Thursday Harry Kane will not play. It's nice knowing that. It's also nice knowing that even if he does play, it's nice knowing that we will probably pull him in the fifth, at halftime or in the, in the 60th minute. And then, we, you know what, we still have four subs. That, that's nice to know because that helps with injuries. And, and my, my beef is not with, not with the league. Like with, with playing all these games, my my beast with international break, especially right now with COVID, that, that's my that's my problem. I, I I I like why we're doing that is ridiculous. Uh, but in saying that, again, we can complain all we want, and it's not up to us. But I mean, I, I don't think uh, I, I don't know why they took five substitutions out. It, it's just dumb. I I really don't understand that. Yeah, we'll have to see if they uh, manage to fix their mistakes, but. Moving on to another mistake, mistake that some of us might have made this weekend is watching this game, Arsenal versus Leeds. Probably the most boring game that I've watched this season, uh, arguably. It ended nil-nil. Pepe had a red card for headbutting. Um, Alioski, I believe. Alioski. Alioski, yes. Had a red card for just headbutting him after some uh, pushing and grabbing between the two of them. Leeds just couldn't figure out a way to get this ball into the net. I think they hit the post at least three times over the game. Yeah, this was this was Arteta. This is class. This is what we're starting to make familiar with Arteta. This is again something I've addressed, and he is a, he's a manager that manages variables, 
and who is the most chaotic team in the league. You you get leads when you think of that. So Arteta throws out a little bit of his own variation, putting out Ceballos, putting out Nicola Pepe, because he knows he can't control. You cannot control a game against Leeds. You can do your absolute best, but it's not going to be controlled. So he puts his own vari- variables out on the field, and they just don't cut it. I don't know if they lack ideas. They're so structured. They're afraid to play out of their structure. It, it just wasn't there. Their one player you were really looking to kind of be the maverick, the one that could bring something of nothing, was Nicola Pepe. Oh, yeah, and he brought something. He brought a nice red card to the team because other than that, he was absolutely useless. He was not providing anything. And William wasn't providing anything either. And you really don't want to say, well, oh, you know, you throw in Bakayo Saka and the start him instead. No, no, no. You, don't, you do not want to be pointing at Arsenal Football Club needing an 18-year-old left wing whatever they play him at to come and save you. That's not what you want. And they had Joe Willick in there. What is Joe Willick going to provide you centrally? Is he going to play that killer pass? Aubameyang is taking less touches in the final third than he took last season already. It's of note. It's on The Athletic. Tom Warville has already done an article over it. it it's, it's just not working. I don't know. I mean, I have to say, it's not working. He just kept leads from scoring a goal. That is, that is strong. They're a really strong defensive unit. But they're almost handicapped. They're so defensive. They just can't. They just can't find it in the final third, whatever it is. I don't know who it is supposed to be at this point. I don't know who you're supposed to look for. I, do you think that if you have a player like, and I hate to say this, but Champions League winner David Luiz, part of his appeal is that he can play some of those long balls up to the forwards, and it seems like Arsenal could use anyone at this point. Of course, uh, Thomas Party was out. Lacazette was out. Thomas Partey's had a couple good games for them. Lacazette's. Looked a bit shaky this season. William, like you said, pedestrian, same as Aubameyang. You think David Luiz could do anything about that? I think David Luiz would bring a bigger range of passing, but I, I find that I think Arteta's just not, he's concerned about him. He makes mistakes. He's a guy that will play a risky long pass, and Arteta's very measured. And I think Partey not playing is just kind of getting climatized with the system and getting used to everything and playing in a game like this where it's very chaotic. I, I don't know if that was good for him. Maybe he was just being left out out of caution. But, yeah, I I don't know. I don't think the center-back partnership or any changes along the back line need to be considered. He's actually getting a, a good bit out of Hector Bellerin, somebody we've been collectively the Premier League's probably been pretty up and down with since he since he arrived in, uh, in London. But I don't know who... I don't know what. Is it Dominic Zobazlai? Who knows? They need something because currently they're just so defensively rigid and going forward they just lack ideas. And it's incredible to say that with a team that has Mesedozo just sitting in the in the in the wind, just not in any squads, no Europa League, no Premier League. Now I, I did say that Arsenal would improve the second that Gunnar Soros got re signed. And that seems to not be the case, as Gunnar Soros is back, but Arsenal have not improved. Uh, David, what do Arsenal need to do? So we talked about it last week. I'm not. This is not what they need to do, but we talked about it last week. Who is the next Premier League manager to go? It's Arteta. It's Arteta. I really believe it is. I, I, I really don't All know. Right. Okay. The, All right, look. The board's got full, full faith in him. Look, I may have just I, I, blasted I, him for his tactics, but he's not gone. All right, he's, he's, he's surely not gone, okay? They're in 12th place right now. Well, And who who else is down there with him? It's Guardiola. Manchester City and Manchester yeah, United. Guardiola does have a game in hand. I, it, it, he does. And, and I think the thing is, the other problem is, you know, this is an interesting statistic, and not that I, I don't mean this in any bit. I'm just using it. Youngman's son has more goals this season than Arsenal has altogether. I can't feed this narrative of pulling plugs on managers too early. I just can't. I know this is rough, but you have to fight through. It's not Arteta's fault. It's not. It's what. It's that's the that's the part. He's got to work through this. This isn't pull the plug on Arteta. This is Arsenal show some something, some conviction for once in their decision making and stick to him. Let the recruitment come. Let the players come through the academy because right now it's a rough patch. It's a really rough patch. Ole had an incredibly rough patch towards the ends of his very first season they took um, took charge of United in December. He had an extremely terrible period, which included a 4-0 loss to Everton at Goodison Park. 
these moments, they've got to be ridden out sometimes, and you've got to see if there is light at the end of the tunnel. And I believe with a really intelligent manager like Arteta and a club with the attraction of Arsenal, time, money, and they can't afford to mismanage anything. At this point, you are, you're, you're walking up the hill now. You cannot afford to take any missteps. And the I hill mean, is steep right now. To, I, I'm not saying they're going to fire him, and I don't think they will, and I don't think they should. I don't think it's his fault. But, I mean, we're looking at it now. I don't think it was all Emery either. I just don't. You know, and Emery, you can see what he's doing with Villa Real, right? He, he, yeah, but that's, a, that's an entirely different so league. And I'll, I'll raise this question to both of y'all. Mm-hmm. Picture Arsenal's best 18 players. Now, I want you guys to tell me what two players you would take from their squad and put them into your own, whether it be bench, whether it be starting. All right, no, 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 not bench. Tell me if you would take any of their players and make them a starter in your 11s. I wouldn't at United. Thomas Party. I wouldn't at Liverpool. I could. I, e- even this, and I, even and this. I'd find a way to start a bot. Mm-hmm. I mean, even this bench team that we're putting out, every single one of them played better than any of the starters. I mean, you could you could say maybe a couple seasons ago, Aubameyang when he tied for the Golden Boot. Million on Pepe. Seventy-two million euros. On Pepe. Lille mm-hmm. is known for their good business. That's their sporting director being absolutely brilliant, oh, and I've brilliant. seen that guy do plenty it, of work. He sold Bernardo Silva the city. It, it shows Arsenal, like, Arsenal got William on a free. I mean, that's great you got him on a free, but, I mean, come on, that, that doesn't work. I mean, you know, it's great that they got party. They needed, they should have got Arwar. Not even a question. They should have got him. They, they, they should have bought um, a center back. Another one? I mean, I honestly, it seemed like Saliba was going to be the, the, you know, the the next dude when they loaned him out last year, and I thought uh, he doesn't even get to play at all. I mean, I know he's nineteen or twenty, but geez, you know. Yeah, they're concerned he's a little too raw, and I I like what they've done because it, it's it's essentially what United did last year. They they're reassuring themselves at the back first of all with our uh, Thomas Party coming in and Gabriel coming in. And Kieran Tierney, even before that, they wanted to shirt things up at the back, and they're doing that. And, you know, if you shirt things up for a little while at the back, you're going to have to eventually invest more money in the attack. And I think that's coming. Hopefully it's coming in January because we would have just spent since September through all the way through all of December watching them. And I don't expect things to improve. I expect the holiday fixture list to be an extremely frustrating time for Arsenal fans. It's going to be heavy rotation in a team that just doesn't exactly have goals coming from left, right, and center. And it's going to be a really tough time, but you just have to ride with Arteta till January, see if the club can pull off anything in recruitment, and just hope for the best because he's a very intelligent manager and he just needs the right players. I mean, he's very smart, but, I mean, you'd think under under Pep, Pep, he'd learn how to attack. You'd think. I mean, I mean, Pep's had the best attack, arguably, arguably the best attack in the Premier League for the past three or four years. I mean, and other he doesn't he think he can. Him. He doesn't trust him enough. Yeah, but the thing is, like, I don't know. I mean, I don't, I don't. Arsenal's recruitment. There are teams out there that haven't been able to spend the money that Arsenal have, like Leicester, Tottenham. You know. Like teams like that that haven't been able to spend the money that that Arsenal have, and Arsenal's just blowing it. Yeah, like they're just blowing it. They need they need to change something. I mean, it's great. You know, they got a bombing, and that was great. I mean, he's a star. He's a superstar. He's a great player. Uh, he's just not playing well right now. He's in a slump, and that's okay. Um, Party's a party. He's a stud. But I mean, otherwise, can you tell me a player? And, and, and I'll throw Gabrielle in there too because he's been he's been good for them. But tell me a player that they have in their team right now that was a. Goodbye for the money they got him for. Uh, seriously. As of right now, Kieran Tierney's the only one. Good value for money. I don't even think Tierney's that good. I, I like mean, him. He, he, he's young. He's super young, and I, I think that's great. But defensively, he struggles. He's a good offensive outside back. Defensively, he struggles. Well, He, he, he reminds me of Matt Doherty. Very much so. And the and, minutes. And, and yeah. He's, he's an attacking outside back, which is great. I mean, he, it's which is really great. But, like, Tottenham, for instance, they have to play Sissoko behind Doherty because Doherty struggles defensively. Arsenal can't afford to do that. 
It's also been like, I think, 425 minutes until Arsenal, since Arsenal have scored from open play, I believe. Yep. Yeah. Roughly eight hours. Roughly. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't get any easier either. They you, play you, you can't win games if you don't do that. Mm-hmm. Just they play as Wolves easy as that. Week, they play Tottenham the week after. You know, I, I don't. I, I don't want them to fire Arteta. That's not. That wasn't my point in saying. I think he. All I'm saying is, last week we talked about who's the next manager to get fired. I totally changed my mind about all. Shows. Uh, I, I just did. It, it's Arteta. In my opinion, it's Arteta. And I don't mean that as I think he's gonna get fired. I don't mean that. It's just if they. At some point, you know how these big clubs work, especially clubs like, I mean, if it was Chelsea, this wouldn't even be a question. But big clubs can't, and, and the fans, you know, if you're sitting in 14th, 15th place at during the holiday fixtures, somebody, something's going to start moving. Like, you know, January is huge, and you're right, but, like, at some point, waiting on a manager like that, I mean, with the, with the, the players that Arsenal have, they should not be in 14th. Yeah. They they shouldn't be in. I don't think they should be in top four. But I mean, if they're in sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, all right, I think that's okay. But if you're struggling and you haven't scored from open play in eight hours, that's not just on waiting on defense. That's tactics. And 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 there is a problem. And I know Arteta is a really young manager, and I think he's a superstar manager. I think he's going to be really good. But you know, something something's not going to go well. Well, we'll just have to wait and see if Arsenal can recover over these festive fixtures. But moving on, Aston Villa played Brighton this weekend. Uh, Brighton won, I believe this is their first win of the Premier League this season. Uh, two to second. one over Brighton. Over, what was that? Second. I think it was their second win. Second win? Yeah. Of the Premier League this season. Well, it's good on them. Uh, the XG for this game, Villa had 1.77 to Brighton's 1.5. Uh, Wellbeck and Sully March scored the goals for Brighton, but uh, perhaps one of the two big events to come out of this game, maybe three actually, Ross Barkley coming off injured after two minutes. We already talked about all the injuries and all the problems that teams are going to have to be facing. Late in the game... Tariq Lamptey, pod favorite, gets a second yellow card, is sent off. Personally, I didn't think there was too much in it for the yellow card. Um, I I could see how the referee, and I'm forgetting who it was at the moment, but I could see how he could give it the yellow. I thought it was a bit harsh. It's one of those that I believe might be overturned, Um, but we'll just have to wait and see. But the other controversy in this game was the late penalty. So, Sully March tackles Trezeguet in the box, given as a penalty. I, I, Michael Oliver, I believe it actually was. Um, tackles Trezeguet in the box. Michael Oliver gives a penalty, goes over to the monitor, sees that Sully March gets, gets a, a, a bit of the ball, just a bit of the ball afterwards. Um, so it, it's overturned. Game ends 2-1, to one, uh, denying Villa the chance to, to tie it up. Um, I thought it was a bit controversial. Harrison, I want to get your take on this. What do you make of this penalty call? Would you have called it a penalty? What do you see here? I thought this was even more questionable than one given in the United or taken away in the United game. I couldn't understand this. I genuinely have nothing. I, I don't have a lot to say because I just don't know what they're looking at when they see that he clearly kicks Trezeguet. And I, 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 if there's contact with the ball, it's minimal. Yeah. And th- this is what we're seeing, right? In my opinion, anywhere else on the field, this is a foul, and it is an easily given foul. If you slide through a player and you get a bit of the ball, but you still go through their legs, they're going to give it a foul because at, at this point, it's just a dangerous play, and that's how the game is played. So I thought it was a penalty. Um, just just that that little bit of contact is not overrule the fact that he got a good chunk out of his shin guard. Um, but, yeah, Brighton win, 2-1. to one. Uh, The next game that we got here, Everton at Fulham. Richarlison is back. Everton win, 3-2. to two. Um, 
David, since Richarlison is back, does that mean that Everton as a team are back? Are they back in form? Are we going to see a lot of the same Everton that we saw at the beginning of the season that even led the league at one point? Yeah, I think that we will. I don't mean I don't think they're going to be at first again, but I think we'll see a much more fluid attack uh, and a healthier team. You know, uh, I, I think this this season's wide open, and you know, I think a lot of things can happen. Uh, and maybe we will see Everton get themselves back up there again. Um, you know, if, if Southampton would have won today, they would have been in third, uh, which is just in, in, in impressive. And and I think Everton, you know, with Richarlison back, I don't think he's one of the best players in the league, but I think he's very talented and outstanding player. And if, I think he makes Everton a totally different team. And we see that with a few players, you know. Some teams just look lost, and it, it seems like Richarlison is one of those guys that just makes them better. Uh, I, I do still believe they can battle for top five. Um, I, mean, I, I definitely think they're going to get the Europa League spot, but, I mean, they won 3-2, to two and they scored some goals, and I think that's really important. And on the other side of the pitch, Fulham had an impressive 55% of possession, 14 shots, 6 on target, but could not finish out the game. Fulham miss a penalty. We've seen this before this time. It was just put over the crossbar. Is this a mentality issue? Is this confidence? Harrison, what do you think? I think it's confidence. I'm sure as a Fulham player, you're probably lacking in confidence after this really slow start. And really, it's just about the next penalty. you got to put it in. I mean, that's just like so basic to say, but seriously, it is. It's just get it off your back. Because this right now, you don't need to build this kind of a thing early on in the season. This kind of shadow glooming over their head. They need to they need to find someone to step up to the penalty spot and absolutely sink it because you don't want this festering in the team. Moving on, there was a predictable 1-0 win. United over West Brom, although Harrison thought that it would be either a win, loss, or a draw before this game started. Um, you can guess who scored the penalty for Manchester United. It was Bruno Fernandes, of course. Is there anything more to say about this game? Yeah, it's another game where Manchester United lacked ideas going forward. It looked like a team that had no plan. I don't know what Ole is, is trying to get across to the players in the final third movements. or There's no patterns of play. Actually, no, there is a pattern of play. Everybody gets the ball, and they look directly for Bruno. And I don't even know what to say. There was one time, one moment in the game, where I was absolutely blown away, where Fred's in the box, probably a couple yards off the spot uh, for the center, for where PK is, and he looks to square the ball to Bruno because he's not going to take the shot on his right foot. And it's every moment they're looking for him to bail them out. He's genuinely playing as the most real number 10 we have in Europe because they don't have any other answers. That's what they feel is the best way to get things going. It's just find Bruno. And if anybody's questioning what's going on with Donny van de Beek, I have no idea. I don't think he fits the system because I don't think he's ever been afforded this much freedom in his career. He was at an Ajax system where everything was total football. Everything was triangles, getting forward, possession, all of that. All these things were drilled into his head. And yes, I have seen Ole negate teams as best strong suits. Like what? He can nullify teams. That's awesome. He can game plan how to stop them. He can't game plan how to create for ourselves, the team. And what is Van de Beek going to do with that? That's why it didn't make sense for him to go to Real Madrid, who he was linked with beforehand. He needs a system. He's a really great player with technical ability and a work. He is a bit of a workhorse. He covers a good bit of ground. He tackles. Um, he does a lot of that hard work, but he doesn't have a system. He's free to do things here, and I don't think he's been afforded that freedom before. So, yeah, there's not much to go, up, go off of um, the penalty that was taken away from West Brom. I understand it a bit more so than the one with uh, – Everton or whoever we just said, because Bruno made contact with the ball first and then kicks through uh, the West Brom attacker. But yeah, other than that, game, not really that impressive. Uh, hopefully they do not allow Dembaba to score on Tuesday. Now, you put a lot of emphasis on Bruno Fernandez's role in this United team, and rightly so. Would you say that Manchester United are one Bruno Fernandez away from being an Arsenal? Yes, absolutely. I have no idea where they would create from. I don't think if you, if you made Juan Mata the central attacker, the central attacking midfielder in this team, it would look a lot like it had in previous seasons where they tried that and we would struggle. There would be spaces, gaps, just it would be a mess. 
yes, it would be really tough. They would become a strictly counterattacking team. Like they almost already are, but they were more so in the earlier part of last season before Bruno had arrived. So yeah, one Bruno injury could spell absolute disaster for this team. And it is, it's just a testament to how much they know they need somebody else that this fan base is banking on. 18-year-old Ahmad Diallo, who doesn't even have 100 minutes of professional soccer under his belt for Atalanta. And the final game of the weekend that we will be discussing, Wolves played Southampton. The game ended in a 1-1 draw. Goals by Theo Walcott. Uh, That's the problem with Arsenal. They always try Walcott in. Sly reference. Um, and Neto for Wolves. Danny Ings was out of the Southampton team. He had a uh, minor injury. I believe he needed some surgery, but he's not expected to be out for too long, which is good for the Saints. Southampton are now um, fifth in the league. They had the chance to go third, I believe, but very impressive start for them, uh, considering that at this point last season they had lost 9-1 to against Leicester and were in a quite a rut uh the beginning of the season but Harrison what what's your take on Southampton's performance so far over the season and then specifically in this game so I think it started around this time last year that Ralph Hasenhutl adjusted to the four four two 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 and ever since then they've built on that they've become stronger in that more comfortable in that and these players are good crop of players they're doing really well and they have Danny Ings to get on the end of things most of the time. Unfortunately, not now. But Shea Adams is getting into his own. He's uh, He had the, the luck of that ball falling back to him today so he could pull it across goal to Theo Walcott. Um, in terms of today's performance, I thought they were on the, the front foot for most of the first 45, and then they had the, the good 10 minutes in to the second half. And then Wolves woke up. Uh, they are notorious slow starters, Wolves, but this time it really looked like a wake-up call. As soon as that first goal went in, they were like, oh, we got to play. And I think one thing they were lacking was Connor Cody. Obviously, uh, I believe self-isolating. His range of passing is really crucial for them in the switching of play in that middle uh, center back role. And, yeah, that was tough for them. But, yeah, Potence really took it upon himself to go direct uh, after about the 60th minute. And, uh, yeah, of course, it was through Raul Jimenez that they equalize. Yeah, and you mentioned before the podcast that there was a certain 19-year-old American potentially player on the bench for Wolves. What does this mean for him that he's been included on, I believe, four uh, games in a row? So this is the fourth Premier League squad in which 19-year-old potential U.S. men's national team player Owen Otisawi has made for Wolverhampton Wonders. And the good thing is, is that he's in the squad. And the only reason I say this, and he's not getting playtime, and I'm not like, oh, you know, he's just there filling a spot. No. No, no is very, very thorough in his integrations into teams. Owen Otisawi has been training with them for some time now. He's been in multiple match day squads now. And I think he will be adjust he will be integrated into the squad around the FA Cup time. I believe that is the first time we will see him get a good run of minutes for this Wolves team. And uh he wasn't as public in how the men's national team camp was. He posted one photo on his Instagram, but um, didn't come back with the loads of the players following him and whatnot. And, I mean, who knows? Maybe I'm looking too much into it. But I I really I really hope something works out for the kid because I, I definitely think Nuno is looking at getting him into the rotations come FA Cup. And that rounds off our discussion on the Premier League this week. Of course, we have Champions League action coming up and Europa League action also. Uh, but no one watches that. And <laughs> so this week, Premier League teams in the Champions League, Chelsea play at Reims? Rennes. Rennes. There we go, French teams. Uh, Chelsea are currently tied with Sevilla um, in their group with seven points. United host their arch rivals in uh, their Champions League group, Istanbul, Basakshir, and United are currently tied with RB Leipzig with six points in the so-called group of death. PSG have been struggling. But uh, if United finally overcome their one uh, shortfall in this group stage, how confident are you that they place top of the group? Uh, I would say I'm fairly confident that they will finish top of the group if they win tomorrow, mostly because I 
don't really see them lose. I don't see United losing to Leipzig again. And I actually see Leipzig beating PSG. So I can, I can actually see United finishing top of this group. If they win tomorrow, I believe they'll take care of Leipzig. And I think PSG will be fighting for a spot in the knockout round for the last game. Moving on, City play at Olympiacos. City currently lead their group with nine points. Liverpool host Atalanta. Liverpool also lead their group with nine points. Other notable matches include PSG hosting RB Leipzig, Inter Milan playing Real Madrid, and Bayern Munich playing RB Salzburg. Uh, David, which of these games um, are you most excited to watch as a neutral fan? Uh Probably Inter Real. Uh, probably, I mean, I have some interest in the PSG Leipzig uh, game too, due to the fact that one of them is coming down to Europa, um, and I would hope it's Leipzig, not PSG, because I don't want to play PSG in Europa. But uh, I think the, the more entertaining game will probably be the uh, the Inter Real game, just because I think both those teams. Um, can struggle sometimes or can just take complete control. Uh, I mean, if you want to watch the best player on the planet, arguably, then Mbappe is the way to go and go watch PSG. Uh, but, I mean, otherwise, I think, you know, I think that Inter game has a lot going for it, and I think it'll be a really interesting matchup. Well, it's going to be a week packed with fixtures, as we already talked about with the scheduling issues. But we are going to be moving on to our final predictions of the first half of the season. Harrison, you want to add add something real quick? One more note about the Champions League. Right. Sergio Roberto has been confirmed out for some time now with Barcelona, so that means current United States men's national team right back, left back, Serginho Dest will be the go-to fullback for Barcelona for some time. So everybody keep that in mind. It's there. Fixture list gets heavy over these next few weeks. And that's Harrison with the U.S. Men's National Team Watch. We'll be sure to work on that sound effect uh, for the second half of the season. But as I was saying, this is our mid-season finale. So for the next half of the season, when we return, uh, we will be on YouTube and potentially we will be on Spotify. We'll have to see, considering that we won't be able to access the studio. Um, But for the second half of the season, we are going to change the way that we predict games so that if the team that you predict wins, you get three points, and if they tie, you get one point. If you if they lose, of course, you get no points, but the way that we had been doing it is if the team wins, you get two points, and if they draw or lose, you do not get any points. So going into this, the final week of um, the first half of the season, um, at least for the podcast, I'm currently leading with 10 out of 16. David, you have 5 out of 14. And Harrison, you are 6 for 14. Um, Interesting note before we go into our predictions. Uh, There is one team between the three of us that none of us have chosen uh, over the the eight weeks that we have been predicting these games. And um, that would be Newcastle. Yeah, you can thank Steve Bruce for that. Yeah. Yeah, that would be Newcastle. Um, I don't think anyone had any real confidence in any of their games so far this season, uh, and that's why they didn't get picked by anyone. But uh, we shall see coming into this last week if anyone makes any of those predictions. So, Harrison, start us off. What teams are you choosing? So I am choosing Manchester City to beat Burnley this week, and I'm taking Newcastle. To win their game this weekend. There you go. It's time to break that uh, that record right there of none of us using them. We shall see. David, go ahead. Uh, I'm also taking Newcastle. Oh. Uh, I, 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 I like that matchup, and I'm taking Brighton over Liverpool. Oh. Good call. Good oh. call. That early morning. You know what Klopp was going on about the whole early morning, midweek kickoff thing? Absolutely. Good. Good work. See. Also, and I, I have to say, mm-hmm. I did not know. Uh, when actually that Brighton Liverpool game was, and I can a little, I can understand a little bit why he's upset about that. I, I I take back a little bit of the hate I had for him. I mean, I I I still think you know 
you got to suck it up a little bit. But. Yeah, he can sit and pout in his brand new office and training ground that he helped design. And uh, hey, man, that, that, that's true. But I mean, I, I I'm taking Brighton. I have to take him, and I'm going to take him now. It's a beautiful training ground, to be sure. Um, I watched Alex Oxley Chamberlain did a, a walkthrough of it, introducing it. It was about a, a five minute video, and it was absolutely hilarious. But it showed all the ins and outs. The nice heated pool that's indoors, very, of course, uh, very um, fancy, as you would say. Um, yes, David, I do want to remind you that you could also have chosen Chelsea this week uh, if you still so, want to go back on your prediction. I, I, could, I, I could have taken Arsenal too, but I, 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 I'm not doing either of those. Well, I don't think anyone wants to choose Arsenal at this point. Um, I will finish off with my predictions. Uh, this week, I'm going to go with Wolves over Arsenal, hoping that Raul Jimenez finally steps up and starts scoring those goals that we all know that he can. And then uh, I'm picking Sheffield over West Brom. Sheffield have one point so far in the league. Uh, they have not won any games, but I think if they're going to win any, it could be against West Brom, and we'll have to see if they'll be able to bounce back. But that concludes our episode. Thank you for joining us. We should be on YouTube next week, potentially on Spotify. Uh, but until next week, we will see you then. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Stoppage Time. You can follow us on Instagram at stoppagetime91.1 for news, updates, and more. Be sure to tune in next week for another great episode on Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube, or wherever you listen to podcasts.